Hello, everybody, and welcome to the most exciting podcast of all time, the Digitally Uploaded Podcast. I'm Matt Sansbury, Editor-in-Chief of DigitallyDownloaded.net, and I am in a very good mood this week because it is Dead or Alive Week. We have finally had an announcement for Dead or Alive 6, which makes me very happy, and um, I'm sure everybody who listens into the podcast knows how much I love my Dead or Alive, so uh, yeah, this this was something I woke up to this morning when we were when we are recording, and uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that a bit in the podcast, I think, because with me this week is the other big fan of Dead or Alive on the digitydownloaded.net team, Ginny. Hello, Ginny. Hey, how's it going? Good. Are you wildly excited, too, about this Dead or Alive thing? I am very excited. Um, I think wildly is a mild way of putting it, uh, mainly because <laughs> I've been so thirsty for a Dead or Alive game, and I need just to stop trying to get everything that I can, every last drop of entertainment out of Dead or Alive Extreme Volleyball 3. So I am very happy there's a new one on the way, but I don't know about the aesthetic that they're pushing this time. So... Yes, yes, it's a little bit interesting, isn't it? We will talk about that, I think, after a bit of Hatsune Miku music to get us all in the mood. Uh, we'll come back and we will talk about Dead or Alive.
and welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that bit of music. It was very happy and cheerful and should have put you in a good mood. So, Dead or Alive, yes. By the time we recorded this, the announcement was only about, what, six hours old or thereabouts. It broke overnight and we are up early in the morning to record this podcast. So we haven't had too long to really digest what it's all about. Um, and it was more a teaser trailer, I think, than anything else. We promise that we'll get more details about the game on the 11th we're recording this on the 9th so by the time you're listening to this podcast it'll probably be a little bit old because those extra details would have come out but that's the that's the downside i guess to pre-recording stuff um we are only going to talk about what we've seen in that initial teaser trailer and uh i, I guess my first impression was um it's it's not very booby <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. That's how I would have put it. Just a lot more gracefully, maybe, but that's exactly the cusp. Of, that's exactly that cuts right to the core of the issue. To be honest. <laughs> yes, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because Dead or Alive has always been that series that has been about the um, the fan service and the women and the breast physics and things like that. And all of that has been toned down a long way, at least for this initial trailer, which has blood in it. Like it's trying to be something like a Mortal Kombat game. And most of the characters that were revealed or shown in action were the male characters, which is odd. Uh, I know Ryu is a popular character and all that, but I never thought I would have seen the day that Dead or Alive in in a Dead or Alive game that he took back seat. To, uh, sorry, that Kasumi took back seat to him, which is yeah, just not what I would have expected. Yeah, I think for me it was just what popped out immediately was I guess the quote unquote edgy, grungy sort of like locations that they put it in, which is like a complete one eighty from the uh, you know the the beautiful aquariums of Dead or Alive three or the the beach tag team. Um, backgrounds like I just kind of feel like it had a very yeah like like Matt was saying a very kind of Mortal Kombat-y type feel and I don't know if you picked up on this as well Matt I didn't the first time I watched it but I was looking through the comments on a YouTube video usually a mistake um, but apparently um, now the characters actually they have like visible like effects when they get hurt like the characters can bruise and stuff and look injured oh wow I didn't I and haven't I, and I don't know oh, how I, I don't know how I feel about that because I, for one, want to protect my wife, Kasumi. <laughs> 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 but also, I I kind of feel uncomfortable that that that's a thing now. I think Dead or Alive has always sort of been. I don't think it's been. It's not meant to be like a hyper realistic. I am beating up on someone, and I want to see them bleeding slash injured slash in pain. I think that's not what Dead or Alive is as a franchise if you think about the ridiculous storylines and the crazy soap opera that is the dead or alive cast like adding that element of i guess almost unpleasant realism kind of doesn't make me feel very comfortable i don't know how you feel about that but i just don't like the idea of 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 the you know of the characters not only the women but also the men just getting i guess all injured and munted and just i don't know it's weird it's, it's a 180 from what I've always experienced and expected. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, it's really odd because like you say, Dead or Alive has always been that kind of satirical, uh, lighthearted nonsense kind of uh, context to the action. And yeah. yeah, it's really it's really 
odd that they bring the violence of it to the front and center, like they're trying to make a MMA game or something. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure that really fits. I mean, the previous Dead or Alive game had, you know, as your character took damage, it would kind of show up on screen. Mm -hmm. But that was because their clothes were ripping, not because they were getting bruised and bloodied. Um, yeah. And I kind of prefer the the clothes ripping thing. I'm not. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I don't. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Mortal Kombat in itself, but um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily want all my fighting games to be going that way. And Mortal Kombat itself is actually more um, satirical in its own way. It just does it with violence as opposed to um, the the sexuality. I'm certainly not a fan of realistic fighting games in like MMA yeah. series and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't like the idea of Dead or Alive going that way. That being said, I have a suspicion that perhaps because this is kind of E3 week um, and the, the Western world as such is looking at what's happening in the games industry more closely than normal, I just wonder whether this trailer was created for that Western audience and they're really trying to kind of tone down the sexuality because we all know that Western people are prudes, uh, and maybe <laughs> we'll see a, a different side of Dead or Alive Six come TGS or whatever. Yeah, I think I want to believe sense. that. Yeah, well, I, I think that makes sense commercially as well. For some reason, Western audiences seem to hate the soft engine and what it does for women, and I, I don't know why that's the case. Um, but I think that maybe Western audiences, in the wake of the but in the wake of all the older or I guess remakes or re-releases of classic, quote-unquote classic fighting games like Street Fighter and like how games like Blaze Blue and stuff are also on the come up and you've got SNK Heroines coming out soon and all the other street, um, um, King of Fighter games and stuff. I think we're seeing a resurgence in fighting games in general and I think that the trailer looking, I guess, this quote-unquote edgy and having very specific marketing is their way of trying to, I guess, kind of get ahead of the pack on their E3 stuff. So I think that you've got a point there in terms of how it's being marketed because it sure as hell was really surprising when it opened up with that sort of like dark font and like, you know, like a emo, atmos emo atmosphere. That was not what I was expecting when I opened up the DOA 6 trailer. So I think you've got a point yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I was expecting, you know, uh, sweat pouring off yeah. women in rather than clothing. That was kind yeah. of what you expect with Dead or Alive. So... Yeah, I, I mean, there's a couple of things. Firstly, I can't see Koei Tecmo giving up on all that DLC potential um, mm. because Dead or Alive 5 had, you know, thousands of dollars worth yeah. of DLC years of Years of DLC, just years, keeping us holding on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just can't see them giving up on that um, mm. with Dead or Alive 6. Yeah. And if they're not going to do... Uh, surely, even if they do try and tone down the sexuality of the game somewhat surely some of those costumes are going to be on the the more risque side of things that's just oh well apparently uh, it would be it would be really shocking if um there, there wasn't you know a whole bunch of swimmer and stuff in that dlc even if the base game is relatively toned down oh 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 i don't know um, sorry, I've just been browsing as we've been talking because I want to find out as much as I can about my women in DOA 6. <laughs> and apparently Team Ninja's CEO has said that they want to make the game less sexualized and that's what they've done with DOA 6. Right. And that they've done away yeah. with the boob physics. Yes, they've done away with the boob 
physics, which is which is interesting. I mean, I again, I just can't see there not being like DLC to change that stuff out mm. because the audience for Dead or Alive get very upset <laughs> when oh, people yeah. try and mess with that side of stuff, the fan service stuff. I mean, they tried to do this with Dead or Alive 5. I don't know if you remember. Um, oh, back when it was yeah, coming out on PlayStation 3, they actually turned down, reduced the size of the boobs for one thing and actually turned off the, the physics. And people, fans, absolutely flipped out. And yeah. they, had to, they had to backtrack on that a little bit. So, yeah. I mean, they probably... Again, I, I suspect they probably do have tried to tone things down for the the, the base game, but mm. the potential is there for the DLC to to change things up. I think and add fan service back into it. Yeah, well, I'll be keeping my fingers crossed and my toes crossed for my my swimsuits and the stuff that I'm familiar with. Um, hopefully, as we find out more about this game, maybe even during E3, um, some of our worries will be assuaged. Well, I mean, the other thing is potentially uh, Koei Tecmo might be starting to get worried about uh, their game getting itself blocked in places because General mm. Life 6, I mean, if you see the trailer, it looks great. Like, the character models are just spectacular. Oh, yeah. Um, by far the best character models I've seen in a fighting game. Uh, before that, it was Soul Calibur 6 was looking like it would be the game, but... Dead or Alive's taking things to another level again. Mm. So, yeah, if the, the fan service was too heavily turned on in that game, um, I guess there's the potential that the sensors out in places like Australia and New Zealand might start to raise an eyebrow or two about what the game was offering. So that, mm. that's potentially another reason, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. Right. It's still very early on. There's still a lot to find out about the game. They haven't oh, even yeah, announced yeah. Marie Rose yet, which is... <laughs> So as far Which as is deeply concerning. There's yeah. no real announcement yet until you hear about Marie Rose. Uh, that's right. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, Dead or Alive 6 doesn't exist until Marie Rose <laughs> is confirmed. And actually, you know, I'm still waiting for the, uh, Soul Calibur 6 to actually be confirmed because they haven't announced Talon in that game yet either. So oh, yeah. I don't know what these developers are doing. They're, they're, certainly, they're certainly giving me sleepless nights. With, oh, gosh. Are they in the game? Are they not? You know, it's, <laughs> these things are important. Oh, bless. But we are getting characters in Dead or Alive 6 too, which we haven't found out about yet. Um, we've promised some new characters, which would be good. Hopefully they're good characters. Hopefully they're characters that will be the next Dead or Alive volleyball game. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, maybe they never do another one of those because no. they're turning down the sexuality. That would be... <laughs> That's true. Well, you know what? I, I can dream, you know, and maybe if I just keep tweeting at Koei Tecmo, they will change that one day. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting. Dead or Alive 6, look forward to lots more, I guess, over the next year. I'm sure we'll get drip-fed. It's not due out till early 2019. So, yes, we can all settle in for that one new character reveal a month for the next couple of months, I guess. Mm, yeah. And in the meantime, we will go to some music from Dead or Alive Extreme 3 because it's a happy game with happy music and takes us to a very happy place. I agree.
and welcome back. So for something very different, uh, it's complete shift in time. We're going to talk about vampires now. Well, I guess vampires are kind of sexy in a way. Um, yeah. Uh, one of them. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, as they were originally envisioned. Oh, yeah. That's right. Back in yeah. Bram Stoker's day, they were basically, um, they were very sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And that was a very sexy book, actually. If you haven't read Dracula, read it. It's surprisingly erotic in places. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about vampires in video games because vampire the game came out last week and has proven to be a little bit controversial i guess um i think on the back of life is strange people were expecting don't nod uh, entertainment the developer to basically hit everything they ever make out of the park ever uh, you know into the future and then vampire has turned out to not be what they the game that those people wanted mm. there's been people talking about you know the, the combat system not being so good because of course you play a don't nod game for the combat um and you know those kinds of things but i don't know i've been playing vampire or have played vampire i've got a review coming early next week and i think it is really really good um because it's probably the first time that we've had a vampire game actually take vampires seriously uh in basically every other video game that has had a vampire they've just been a monster uh you kill it it's dead drive a stake through its heart it doesn't like garlic or silver or whatever but um vampire the game treats treats vampires with uh, i i guess more of the the philosophical conversations that you can have around them as a character, as a concept. And it looks, it feels much more like an Anne Rice video game, uh, like Anne Rice wrote it, interview with a vampire, you know, those kinds of Queen of the Damned, those kinds of stories as opposed to Vampire is Monster, which I like. I really, really enjoyed that. And yeah, so for me, Vampire is, um, it's the first time I've got a vampire game that I kind of wanted. <laughs> nice. I know you haven't played it yet, Ginny, but uh, as far as you're concerned, when it kind of comes to vampires in games, uh, are you more, I mean, are you happy with them just being mindless monsters that you kill at the end, like the end bosses, or you get to play with them in the later Castlevania games, but they're still pretty mindless brutes? Or are you looking for a kind of a more, you know, nuanced approach to the vampire myth? Well... I probably read the Anne Rice books like way too early in life, just like I read other material way too early in life. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I mean, I would say my first popular, my first pop- proper exposure to vampires was not um, Dracula, which I had to study in school when I was fifteen or something. But before that, I read quite a few of the Anne Rice novels, which were probably too explicit for someone at my age. But that was like sort of the first portrayal of vampires that I gotten because I didn't get to watch much TV when I was growing up and a lot of it was wildly censored anyway in Singapore so we weren't really watching movies where vampires get staked or like you know movies where there's blood everywhere or anything horror related so I guess I had always assumed that the way Anne Rice wrote about vampires was how I would encounter them later on in life and I've always been actually quite disappointed with the examples that you mentioned that I've played after reading the Anne Rice novels where vampires were just like people that wanted to kill you or like drink your blood. And I mean, like in Witcher 3, um, 
the expansions try and deal a little bit better with vampirism and stuff, but they still always end up appearing very one-dimensional or cruel. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like mm. that the whole Witcher trailer with the very famous vampire lady who takes her clothes off and fights you, um, you know, like she's portrayed in all the promotional material as sort of a very one-dimensional evil character. And even though the game throws you about and it's like, oh, she actually ran an orphanage, but was also like drinking the blood of children. It's like they can't catch a break. So what I heard about vampire and or vampire, I guess, if that's how we want to pronounce it, I'm not sure what the pronunciation is for this new game that came out. Um, I was really skeptical because I really want a game that lets me be a vampire but have actual moral choices because you don't just become a mindless creature, right? Like you're clearly a functioning being of some sort and it's clearly a vampire hierarchy or at least and rice led me to believe that. And having played vampire, um, um, sorry, the masquerade games, I've I kind of been wanting a similar experience, less like GTA the vampire game and kind of more like, you know, Dragon Age the vampire game maybe. So I'm really keen on this game and I want to try it out and hopefully it will redeem the way that I've, the unfair way that vampires have been portrayed for me throughout games media. Yeah, I mean, Vampire the Masquerade is a good example. I, I think of a, a decent attempt at doing the vampire before. I always forget about that game because it wasn't, I didn't find it particularly memorable, but it was a decent attempt. Um, mm. But yeah, this this vampire game is certainly the first one that really kind of delves in depth into trying to have that discussion about, you know, uh, once somebody's been turned into a vampire, do they find the act of, you know, drinking blood repulsive? You know, at what point do they stop finding that repulsive? Um, you know, how does the fact that they are now immortal actually change mm. uh, their perception of the world? And do they see humans as, you know, cattle or do they try to maintain their humanity in some way all of these are really interesting questions um and people like Anne rice have done a really good job over the years of exploring that in depth so taking the basic vampire story that uh, really bram stoker pioneered with dracula and then starting to ask questions about you know what these characters would actually be like mm. and yeah vampires are certainly the first game to really push that um, forward for me. And I found it really interesting. You know, there's, there's just so many layers to this game. Like, um, you know, the, the, the conversation of course, the, the, whether you, you drink the blood of people and uh, whether you, you know, whose blood you drink, whether, you know, somebody's a, a jerk, is that enough of a reason yeah. to, to drain them? Uh, there's the tension between, you know, you need to, you don't have to, you can play the game without actually killing anybody effectively, but your biggest source of experience points comes from draining the blood of people who are not enemy combatants. Right. So do you, yeah. So do you actually make the game easier for yourself by killing people? <laughs> um, or do you try and, you know, stick through and obviously the, the narrative changes and the endings change and there's reason without being giving away spoilers, there's reason to try and play the game without, killing anybody so um there's a lot of tensions that go on with the game and on top of that you know there's uh, the, the london that the game's set in has uh, pestilence going through it so there's also that question about you know disease and in humans mm. as well that you need to address or that the story addresses so yeah it, it's just deep it's really good and i can't believe that in reviews and stuff and conversations about the game all i see is people talking about the the combat because i don't know whether 
I, I actually haven't even read a review that even mentions you know the, the heritage of Anne Rice and similar authors on this game. So I don't know whether people are just connecting with the combat side of things because it's familiar and the narrative is is not, or whether they're just missing it entirely. But yeah, the, the focus on the combat in Vampire is is frustrating because no, the combat it's not a it's not a great um, RPG mechanically, but. Yeah. It's not meant to be. It's really about the story. How prevalent is the combat? Like, how are you forced to fight stuff a lot of the time? Like, I know some games are like, you can choose to be passive, but then people kick your ass anyway. Like, how much do they force the combat stuff in the game? Uh, it it kind of works like uh, dungeons in RPGs. So, for example, the first... Uh, the, the first kind of area where there's significant combat, you need to go into a morgue to a disused morgue to retrieve some items um, mm -hmm. for, that the hospital needs. And inside that morgue um, are a series of enemies and a boss battle at the end of it. So it works just like a dungeon in a Dungeon of Dragons game or something. You go through doors, you fight the enemies, you collect the loot, you kind of move on. And that's partitioned from the main game where you need okay. to have conversations with people, decide whether you want to feed on them, all of that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it works very much like a, a traditional RPG structure. Uh, and those dungeon areas are basically un unavoidable. Uh, you can't mm -hmm. go through them without killing stuff. Right. So, yes, the combat is forced on you, and uh, that's probably a design mistake. I don't think Don't Nod needed to have it as an RPG at all. I think they could have got away with doing a story-driven thing just like uh, Life is Strange, but yeah. they did what they did, and I still wish that people weren't quite so fixated on that combat. That's mm, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, from what I've read, um, the points that people people are saying stuff about, you know, how the story is not paced very well, or that it's not a story that is quick to get off the ground, but I've heard that it's got some really intense opening scenes, so... I think on the balance of things, I'm still going to go for it, mainly because I'm so I'm still reaching for that experience, you know, that vi that vampire experience that doesn't feel like an awful cliche. So, yeah, no, I'm very keen to pick this up, and um, hopefully more people, I guess, hopefully it grows on more people, and more people actually think a little bit more about the plot and all the other themes that are into it, as opposed to just killing humans for experience. I think also it it is a slow-paced game and perhaps people see vampire and they assume it's going to be quite actiony right right because again you know most of the games that feature vampires in video games are quite heavy on the action side of things but this one is very reflective and, and quite slow-paced mm -hmm. so if you try to run through it you'll miss a lot and right, right, if you right. don't if you don't spend the time actually engaging with the dialogue trees and all that kind of stuff you'll miss a lot from this game mm -hmm. and i think Probably people have been doing that a bit. I know it can be a little bit tiring to have to go through, you know, 30 or 40 comments in just a single conversation with one character. Yeah. But it happens. You kind of need to be willing to take your time with this game to really get what it's trying to do. Mm, for sure. And on that note, we might go to some music from Vampire and come back and talk about something else. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we'll decide in the break. Thanks very much to enjoy this one and we'll be back soon.
and welcome back. So for the last section of the podcast, we're going to talk about strategy games. I think Ginny and I are the only two on the DDNet team that are, are big fans of the genre, so um, it was convenient, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. It's actually been a, a, a big week for strategy games because we got the first look at um, Total War Three Kingdoms, and we also had Koei Tecmo release Nobunaga's Ambition Taishi, which is the latest in a very long series of quite serious strategy games about Japan during the Sengoku period, basically samurai warriors, but thinky rather than button pressy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's start with Total War Three Kingdoms because I am incredibly excited for this game. It's the first time that Creative Assembly, as in the British company, I think they're British, aren't they? The, the British developer yeah. has looked at the Three Kingdoms era in China. They've done a couple of games set in Sengoku, Japan in the past, but this is the first time that they've taken on uh, the Dynasty Warriors era of Chinese history. And it's going to be interesting. They've got some tough competition. Romance of the Three Kingdoms by Koei Tecmo is a very good, long-established strategy series based on the same time period. Um, but who knows, the Total War formula might add some magic to this. Yeah, um, I am still excited, but also every time I see new material that's been produced about the game and it's like, oh, E3 reveal, time to show off what Total War's got. They always pick the one voiceover guy that can't pronounce any of the names. <laughs> Please, if I'm going to sit through your 10 minute long trailer about this game and he's going to say the names every 20 seconds or so, Please just get literally anyone else to do the names, even a separate guy if you have to. Like it's just so, so off-putting. But apart from that, um, I'm still excited. Even though they're probably are not going to have any Chinese voice acting, it's probably going to be all English voice act, all English voice acting with horrible accents, really cliche Chinese themed music. But that's okay. What I'm more excited for is the retelling of the Three Kingdoms story from different factions' perspective. I'm. I'm really keen to see how they're going to work that stuff in. Because um, I played Total War Thrones of Britannia recently. Well, recently, I say a month and a bit ago. And um, what they did with the faction perks and stuff was really interesting. Um, but they had obviously had the factions up, divided divided the factions up, I guess, based on the racial backgrounds of Britannia at the time. So they all had very sort of obvious geographical perks and sort of very obvious language, cultural perks. With Three Kingdoms, where everyone is essentially from, I guess, the same core culture, I guess how they're going to differentiate each faction apart from the days of its commander, that element will be a lot more interesting to me. So Yeah, and it seems to me, I'm just guessing, because obviously I haven't played the game, and we only, we've only we all seen very limited amounts of it so far. But one of the things they're promising in uh, Three Kingdoms is to have the generals be the kind of the focus of the game mm. um, with the generals basically being able to single-handedly, you know, uh, wipe the floor with entire units of enemy soldiers and stuff like that, which sounds very unrealistic for a total war game because total war games have always been about realism and basically generals are as squishy or as easy to put a bullet in as anybody else. But um, oddly enough, it actually fits with Romance of the Three Kingdoms, because Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is basically the the source of a lot of our understanding of that particular era, um, was a historical fiction novel in itself. And it 
was very much about, you know, Lou Boo can march in and kill a thousand <laughs> people by himself. Yeah. Single handedly rouse an entire, uh, you know, army. And it doesn't really matter what the army does. You know, it, it was all about the battles between individual generals. And uh, if, uh, if an enemy unit didn't happen to have a powerful general leading it, it was going to get mopped by somebody in that book. So it actually makes sense that this game will also be very focused on the personalities and the power of the individual generals. And yeah, I'm quite looking forward to that. It's gonna be different because it won't matter so much about the units you build, it'll matter about how you look after your generals. Um, yeah. And finding success in this game, which is, it's good, it's exciting. It should be, should be a lot of fun, I think, I hope. I think so, yeah. I've seen some of the footage whereby you can have like commander fights, like like general fights one on one to reenact specific historical events. So I'll be keen to see whether or not the campaign or the narrative there's like a narrative campaign that faithfully follows the material no matter which general you pick. So like if you do pick Lubu or like you pick Tao Tao and it's like whichever one of them dies in the regular novel is the one that has to lose by default. I'm keen to see how they handle the source material and keeping a coherent campaign together. So that will be another point of interest for me. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll, um, it's also going to be interesting to see how they do the diplomacy side of things because oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a mess that, um, Romans of the three kingdoms is very straightforward on, in terms of the way that the, the, the actual military conflicts worked and it was quite clean and, easy to adapt into a video game but the the political environment of the time was an absolute nightmare to wrap your head around and mm. i think koei tecmo's done a decent job with of it with the romance of the three kingdoms series but that's not as focused on the combat as this game is going to be so yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a challenge because the creative assembly has not done a game that's got this kind of political dynamic to it before so mm. all of its previous games have been relatively straightforward in terms of the political systems this one will need to be a little bit more complex if they're going to get it right um yeah fingers crossed we always yeah. we always assume the best and then get disappointed when we get the worst um <laughs> and hopeful regardless <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then on the other side of things, uh, the other game that was released this week, or the game that was released this week, because Three Kingdoms was not, uh, but the game that was released mm -hmm. this week is Nobunaga's Ambition Heishi, which is, like I said, the latest in the very long-running Nobunaga's Ambition series, and I love this series. Have you ever played one, Ginny? Yeah, I have. I played a couple. Um, more recently, I say recently, I mean like two years ago, Nobunaga's Ambition, um, Spear of Influence. Yep. So I have played Nobunaga's Ambition game before, and these games are older than I am. So <laughs> they have been around for a long-ass time. <laughs> and it shows. I loved it. Um, I was quite new to strategy games when I did first play Nobunaga's. Um, I'm just going to say Spirit of Influence, because that whole name is just too long. Um, and I didn't really appreciate, I guess, or know enough about the Sengoku period to, to care, really, about the aspect of the game. But now that... Um, I will be playing Nobunaga's Ambition Taishi, and I've learned a lot more about Japanese history since I first played uh, Nobunaga's Ambition game. It's going to be a lot more meaningful, and I'm, re I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I've always found this campaign scenario is very interesting, the way that they lay out the story and the way it's based on actual historical time periods. I don't mean like a swathe of like 100 years or 50 years. I mean like in like two to five year gaps, or at least it was like that in Sphere of Influence. 
and that like slow, I guess, interactive history feeling it gave me was really valuable and enjoyable at the time. Yes, because I mean, obviously it comes from the same company that produced the Samurai Warriors series, but this mm -hmm. one tries very hard to be incredibly authentic to what actually happened at each moment of time in history. Uh, to the point where I guess it can feel like you can't possibly win if you happen to try <laughs> to change history with certain characters that did not have a good history historically. Um, mm. But yeah, that authenticity is is really valuable. I think I actually have learned a lot from the Nobunaga's Ambition series over the years um, with regards to particular events and uh, even even getting a better understanding of the actual geographies involved. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, you know, when you play a, a Samurai Warriors game, you know, you don't really know how important you know, Masamune Date was or, you know, who who the heck, you know, uh, the Mori clan were or, you know, how much land Oda actually had before he was uh, betrayed. Mm. But this game actually gives you a proper view of all of that. And then you suddenly realize, oh, so this guy was actually pretty important historically. Um, or, you know, the, the armies that this guy had were, were massive. Uh, so that kind of stuff is really useful to, to fans of the history. Um, I, I will say that the Nobunaga's Ambition series is probably not what you'd turn to for raw entertainment, because unlike... Um, Total War, which we we're discussing beforehand, there's not really uh, much of a, a focus on the on-field, on-battlefield tactics and stuff. It's much more about managing your empire, building your armies up, uh, yeah. engaging in diplomacy, you know, wading through menu after menu after menu after menu. The <laughs> battlefield stuff is kind of, it's over, it's done and, and dusted pretty quickly if you bother to play it at all, because it's not, I've never found it that particularly engaging. For me, it's more about, it's more a proper simulation of the, the social and political environment of the time, which I found really good, um, but not for everybody, but really good. Yeah, I agree. I found that probably the hardest thing to adjust to when I played um, Zero of Influence because you know how usually in a strategy game, even in like toned down ones or like strategy light games like Armello where there's like various win conditions, like, you know, most strategy games will have you have like a military victory or like a economic victory or a diplomacy victory. Nobunaga's ambition makes you balance all of those elements in each sort of, I guess, mini chunk of history that you play through. And there's like multiple chunks in the game, in each Nobunaga's ambition game. And you need to actually get a victory on all of those fronts or do well on all of those fronts to progress and actually get like a campaign victory. You can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to build a buttload of troops and just kill everyone. It's not like that. Like you can't just, I guess, say fuck you to history and just do whatever you want. And I found that, I guess, in hindsight, educational, when I played it, frustrating, but now that I've got like an understanding and appreciation of it, I think it's a very unique way to approach the factors that you normally, it's a way of forcing you to balance strategy game factors, which a lot of modern strategy games now just don't do at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also really good in the sense that you can't just do everything immediately. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if it'd be you, but with a lot of strategy games, the first thing I'll do is just uh, spend all my money on building up a big military and then just go yeah. and swamp somebody, some poor yeah, sucker. Exactly. But in Nobunaga's ambition, if you don't take the time to build up your lands and um, your, your resources and your trade networks and all that kind of stuff, you end up, you might have a big army for one month, one turn in game, but mm -hmm. then you've got no resources and 
everything slows down to a halt. Meanwhile, all the other opponents around you are, are busy building up their territories and they end up with more resources and then you end up in a very weak position. So you need to be very careful and considered about how you spend all of your resources in this game, which I think in this series, which I think is really good. Again, it's very historically accurate. You can't just go to war with somebody every month and um, oh yeah, for sure, and yeah. expect to end up in a strong position. You need to, if you do go to war with a, an opponent, you need to be, you need to have a really good reason to do so. Which, yeah, I, I really like that, and I think this series, like I said, has been around since the NES, um, <laughs> way way back. And I even remember playing one on the original Game Boy. All oh, those gosh. years ago, yeah, yeah. So it's been around for a long time. So they've had a long time to refine it and improve it. Mm. And yeah, I'm really glad it's come back because actually they stopped localizing them into English for many years, and mm. then decided with the PS4 to give it a go again. Obviously, it's sold just enough that they keep doing it. So now they just need to bring one to Nintendo Switch, I think. Well, um, Taishi's Taishi was a launch day release for the Nintendo Switch in Japan. Yes, yes. Just not but, to the West. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, unless you're quite comfortable with your Japanese, yeah, don't play these right. games. Yeah, um, not. <laughs> the menu system alone will melt your brain trying to figure it out in Japanese. I made the mistake of before I had, <laughs> before I had yeah. much of an understanding of Japanese, I bought one of those games on the DS because it wasn't released in English yeah. um, and then tried to figure it out and it was a painful process, I can tell you. Yeah, the UI is not still it's still not very friendly i don't think not the world's most approachable or best ui that i've ever seen in my life um a lot of detail crammed into it sometimes if you play regular strategy games now and that's all you play you'll find this a little bit overwhelming i think initially so please don't buy it in a foreign language that you can't speak <laughs> well that's the thing i mean i did want to quickly touch on that but one of the things about the strategy games that we've kind of talked about, and probably not so much Total War, but certainly Nobunaga's Ambition, and mm -hmm. then some of the other really kind of hardcore strategy games like Europa Universalis and oh, yeah. all of that kind of stuff, they are very complex games with very difficult UIs, and they're not really accessible to anybody, mm. but well, except for existing fans. So it, it, it's hard to get new players in. But to be honest, I don't think there's anything they can really do to change that because... These games need to be complex. It's the complexity that makes the games what they are. And without it, you're basically left with, um, well, you'd be left with like a tactics game or a Command and Conquer-like thing. So, yeah, the, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, if you were to go and buy Nobunaga's Ambition Taishi and it was your first one, you're probably going to look at the menu system and the interface and go, what the hell did I just waste my money on? Um, yeah. but just stick with it is the best advice I can give because it all starts to make sense after about four or five or six hours. Um, if this is your first game, just stick with it. Yeah, if you haven't played any strategy games ever, though, maybe don't start with Nobunaga's Ambition. Maybe, <laughs> start, maybe start with something that's a little more light, like Total War. Um, the recent one, Thrones of Britannia, is is very, um, I suppose, beginner friendly. Um, like the difficulty scaling scales very well and it's based on historical events that are very clearly laid out so you always know kind of what you need to be doing and the AI tutorial mode is fantastic there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think that strategy games, by virtue of being called strategy games and having to live up to that name, can't be easy, if that makes sense. There's got to be, Matt's right, there's got to be that degree of complexity there because you're essentially, what you're doing is you're running 
or you're it's kind of like a kingdom simulator but instead of like a sim city type architectural simulator what you're actually building here is the foundations of an empire so to have all these considerations it's no small feat right like you need to be able to balance your peasantry your your economy your taxes people's morale like all these considerations can't be done with like one or two button presses you need to know the full gravitas of what you're doing and that's why lots of these menus lots of these systems that get you to these places are so complicated because real life infrastructure real life politics real life diplomacy is this complicated so i fully agree with matt i i think their strategy games are this complex because they need to be because of the genre but that shouldn't put you off trying games that kind of bridge the gap between tactics and strategy and you know eventually you get there like i used to be terrible at these games and didn't like them at all but i worked my way up to it because i was interested in history and what lots of these games offer and it in the end has become worth it so don't feel put off by us saying that these games are hard there are plenty of games out there that will serve as like training wheels for games like these so that you can fully appreciate what they have to offer so get out there <laughs> and buy a strategy game <laughs> Well, the other thing is, once you get hooked on them, they do tend to offer you um, an awful lot of value for money. Um, exactly, last, yeah. last time I looked at Europa Universalis, for example, statistics on Steam, uh, I think the average play time was something like 300 and something hours. So, oh, yep. mm -hmm. yeah, so these kinds of games, they, they do offer an effectively unlimited amount of, um, of value once you get you hang get get the hang of them but i do agree with Ginny. it's probably best to start with um something relatively straightforward like total war uh, maybe move on to civilization after that mm. uh, and from civilization you can then make the leap once civilization is a little bit too basic for you because it will get to that point then you can make the leap into something like nobunaga's ambition or europa universalis and on that note we yeah. might wrap the podcast this week thanks very much for being on Ginny, as always no um worries. We'll have some music from, I don't know, Euro Europa Universalis <laughs> or, or Nobunaga's Ambition. One of the strategy games we talked about this week, we'll oh, finish yeah. off with one of those because they generally have pretty pretty chill music, pretty enjoyable music to finish. So, um, yeah, thanks very much for tuning in. Enjoy the week. It's E3 week. I'm sure we'll be back next week to talk about all the good stuff and hopefully the the bikini bods on the Dead or Alive <laughs> girls that we're going to see. Um yeah. Hopefully all of that happens this week. It should be a good week. And, uh, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy.